What's up, everybody? Welcome to this Madre podcast number seven. Hopefully you can hear this because it's raining right now in our shack. Anyway, uh, this week we have another amazing guest for you. Poet, playwright, activist, educator, all around badass, Sheree Moraga. We hope you really enjoy this one and share it with your friends and family. Uh, before we get started, just a couple quick ways you can help. First of all, please share this podcast with your friends and family. Also, leave a review, five-star review on iTunes or Stitcher. That really goes a long way for us. We really appreciate it. If you like what we're doing at this Madre, please pitch in a dollar a month, three dollars a month, whatever you feel like it. There's also some amazing rewards if you join our Patreon community. Check out patreon.com forward slash desmadre. You can also buy a t-shirt at desmadre.com forward slash store. And that's about it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember to share it with your friends. Thanks. Welcome, everybody, to this Madre podcast number seven. This is uh, the first podcast, and I'm saying this not to shit on our previous guests, but the first podcast where I was physically scared last night and nervous about the interview because of the person who was coming in. And I mean that as a compliment, because I was like, oh man, I'm gonna sound like an idiot with Sherry. <laughs> but today we have uh, Sherry Moraga. Who, Sherry. Sherry, I'm sorry. Okay. We have Sherry Moraga, who is a poet, and I'm gonna read this because this is a lot. Sheree is a poet, a playwright director, a writer, essayist, educator, cultural activist. She has uh, received an NEA fellowship for playwriting. She's received two fund for New American Play Awards. She's received a 2007 Rockefeller Fellowship in Literature, and she's currently an artist in residence at the Department of Drama at Stanford University. Are you still involved with the CSRE program there as well? Or? Yeah, it's a joint, joint, a joint relationship, so okay. I do comparative studies and race and ethnicity. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah, comparative studies and race and ethnicity. And to top all of that off, Siri is so real that she decided to come hang out with us in our garage. This is how real I am. This is how real you are. <laughs> She's like, yes, I will come to the garage. Leave so, me here. Thank you very much for joining us, Sherry. Yeah, Sherry, um, I always like to start with uh, kind of a little bit of origins. And um, I'm always curious about people's parents and their grandparents. Um, how how far back can you trace your family? Where where are they from, and and like what do you know about you know your grandparents and their heritage? Like where did they come from? Well, mo mostly the what I know the most about is really my mother's side, and that was um, and I say that too because my father had very little family and um, he was somewhat. Uh, almost like a kind of an orphan. I mean, he, he had a, he had a mother and a father, but by the time I kind of came into the world, um, my grandmother on that side died very young, so I know less about the family. And also, I was growing, he's Anglo, and my family is Mexicano, and so my whole culture growing up was Mexicano. So that's kind of the culture that I found out the most about and also know the most about just because of our. Um, just because of that connection, sure. you know. So, um, but what I can, you know, the the last name Moraga goes back a long, a long, long, long ways. And um, but basically, too, we never know about all of the mestizaje, who got with whom, and all of that stuff. But basically, my origins, you know, here or uh, uh, in this America is is Sonora, 
And so my, like basically I can say sort of my, my, my bisabuelos and then the grandparents before them were Sonorans. Okay. And uh, so that's pretty much it is that, that my, both my grandfather and grandmother, they were born in the 1880s. You know, like I'm old already, you know, so. <laughs> so that they were born in the 1880s and my mother was born in 1914. So in the 1880s, soon after their birth, I mean, they just, the frontera was just like a, a line in the sand, really, you know. Sure. So they just come up here. And um, so I think technically my grandmother, my abuela was, was born in Sonora but came up to Florence, Arizona. And there she was baptized, and that's what she used to say she was an American citizen. Hmm. My abuelo was never American citizen, which I didn't know that until many, many years later, actually. So she was able to uh, use that kind of as a birth certificate? Yeah, this is 1880-something. Yeah. You, know, you know, it's just like, because people aren't born in hospitals, you right. know, so, you know, they, however, I don't know how old she was, but she was baby enough that that was acceptable. Right. But so, so the first, they, you know, they, my mother comes from a family of 11 siblings, and they were all, um, the, first, the first three were born in southern Arizona. And my grandfather had come up there. My grandparents were married in southern Arizona, and so um, those three were born there. And some of the stories I have from that area, apparently he was a, kind of a, I think this is in quotes, a self-made man, you know, <laughs> it's like he did a lot, he had a lot of gigs, yeah. and so, but, you know, no tenía nada, you know, so, but I, at one point, there is this story about him and my grandmother, when they just got married, of, of he would, they had this wagon, and they would sell things to the, um, like to the, you know, to various communities, and including the, uh, you know, the, like the, the Yaqui Reservation, and, you know, all of that, those areas, and so he used to have to tell stories sort of about, you know, being in that area too and uh, before he started his womanizing and drinking ways, you know what I mean? So what got my grandmother to come to California was wow. she was through with his drinking and I womanizing see. and says, me voy. So she takes the three kids, they go to, they go to Southern California and to work and they were... Uh, to work around um, Santa Pala, which was to work in the fields mm -hmm. and the citrus industry and all okay. of that. So they moved there and then my grandmother followed them, right? He didn't give up his ways, but he stayed with the family. And so, so they have stories of him. He was a bootlegger. They did all this, you know, my, my tia Tencha would serve the drinks to the guys in the backyard who would come and drink hmm. and, you know, like it was when it was illegal. Yeah. So yeah. those are kind of some wonderful stories, but, um, and then the rest of the siblings were born in the United States, including my mom was born in Santa Pala in 1914. Hmm. So, and her, their, his, the family history is somewhat interesting in the sense that they were basically mostly doing um, uh, farm labor. They were mostly, you know, yeah. they're, they're uh, working in the fields and that would take them in, they spent time in the Imperial Valley and, you know, any place where the crops were. Mm -hmm. um, and my my grandfather was kind of in and out of that, but but when the depression hit, they went to um, to Tijuana, hmm. and um, and my mother, like at fourteen, like the older sisters had already been married, and so um, she was kind of the oldest, and she had to support the family. So she started working in this uh, casino called um, the Agua Caliente. 
hmm. which is bien famoso, bien, you know, people know this, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. This is Tijuana? This is in Tijuana. Okay. At 14, she lied about her age, but she was bilingual. Okay. So she was able to get, she worked like as a headshot girl, you know, a headshot girl. And, you know, oh, okay, yeah. put your hats and yeah, coats yeah. here and, yeah. and like... Those so was old, this a place where like Americans would go to Tijuana yes, even back then? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the, the movie industry was doing great, you know, during that period of time. So all of like, you know, Gary Cooper and all that, you know, like... So this is the early 30s. Yeah. This late... Yes. Right after, yes, the early 30s. Yeah. So okay. they came there right, I guess, in the very late 20s, like 29. Yeah. And so my, my mother, you know, es una cuentista, you know, and so she had stories of that period of time in her life that they're kind of an ama amazing stories. It's actually a, a book I just finished now it has a lot about hmm. that period of time and, um, and basically stayed there until um, uh, Cárdenas, uh, Lázaro Cárdenas, mm -hmm. you know, becomes president and he outlaws gambling, right? Ah. So then, you know, the, and so it's kind of, you know, it's like, because they had their citizenship, they were able to go back to the United States. You know, a lot of people weren't, obviously, you know. Yeah. But she saw a side of life that, I mean, you know, no tiene educación. You know, she's not, she was probably went to like third grade. Yeah. But she saw this side of life that was so, way beyond their very humble beginnings, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I think it probably more than anything that um, impacted her a lot when she came back to the United States, you know, in terms of just... You know, it's almost like, you know, like you're, I don't know, there was a romance to that time. And sure. also, it was also really, really, as a, as a young, just as a girl and being very vulnerable. And her father, you know, was not a, uh, they romanticized him too, but he was not a good guy. Yeah. And the level of taking care of the family, she was doing that. So, tiene mucho cuentos, you know. Yeah. And probably what I can say about that background is that my mother's history, my in particular, you know, all of that family history, they're all in L.A. I mean, they all, we all stayed in L.A. Yeah. And um, that probably more than anything, as a writer, that's, that's what I write about. You know, like I write about, I'm all, I kind of watch, you know, now I'm 64 years old, so I kind of watch what happens to us as Chicanos generationally. Yeah. You know, in terms of relationship to assimilation, a relationship to our identity and our, you know, our politics and all that. So, so those origins, and you know, I was raised Catholic. I grew up like two blocks from the, uh, you know, the San Gabriel Mission. You know, hmm. Mission San Gabriel, like two where, blocks. Where were you born? I was born in um, in LA, basically in the okay. LA County. I, the hospital was Whittier, but okay. I, but it was just we lived in LA. Yeah. And then when I was about nine, we moved to to San Gabriel, which is just like, it's just east of East LA, mm -hmm. and and. So I had this, you know, Catholic school education, which also became plenty of material. Yeah. <laughs> do, like you, do you have horror stories to tell? Do you have and siblings? Then, yeah, I have a sister and brother who are older than me, but okay. they're all very close. My mother had us late in life. I mean, like she was already in her thirties. Okay. So, um, you know, so uh, that's why she only had three, right? But you I know, see. I have I have hundreds of cousins and yeah. Yeah, with, with 11 siblings yes. uh, on your mom's side, yeah. you would, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you have a first memory, like a childhood memory that really is a distinct from from your childhood there in in in, in L.A.? Well, I remember my first memory, but 
I don't know how distinct it is, but I do know my first memory because it's like those first memories are just like little glimpses, right? Yeah. And we were living in Highland Park, and at the time in which we were there, uh, you know, they had, I guess it was Figueroa, you know, that main mm-hmm. drag they have in Highland Park. Mm-hmm. And so my brother, I had to be two because my brother was going to kindergarten and we had to, and they used to have these, because the intersections were so big, they used to have these underground passageways under the main... Under the Figueroa? Main, under, yeah, under really? Figueroa, yeah. Interesting. And yeah. Um, so I remember my sister's like just a year and a half older than me, and so my mom would walk my brother to school. And so we would go under this thing, right? And it was very scary. I mean, to me, it was huge. Of course, I'm like two inches tall, right? But, it was like, <laughs> but what I remember about it, my mom used to always say, don't, you know, don't, don't go too far because there could be somebody there steal you. You know how they tell you just to keep you in line. And so I used to have all these fantasies of these guys jumping out with knives and stuff <laughs> in, in this very long corridor. Yeah, yeah. long corridor. Yeah. So it's not profound. It's just my first one. So, they, yeah. you know, that's all no, I can I, say I was always interested in that. I love hearing that because... I don't know, it, it, I think in some ways it's related, like a lot of people it is related to fears. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. Bukowski talks about his first memory being, uh, being under a table and seeing his parents' legs and kind of arguing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and usually like for me, I think of like, I don't, I don't, I kind of remember shadows and forms, you know, I don't remember like, like and and when I read that with Bukowski, that like struck strongly with me because it's very emotional. But it's it's more of like it's a form the way he described it, and and it's um, I think for me like I always think about um, one of the things that I remember was my siblings going to school because I have two siblings who are older, mm-hmm. and I used to want to go and I would jump on the couch and watch them leave. Oh uh, yeah, you know, yeah, and kind of cry and want to go or whatever. Um, and then I remember a lot of nightmares, but. But there's like kind of specific like, it, and it's usually, I mean, I think all memory like at some point just becomes light and dark in some way. I think way. you're so right. I um, mean, because that is how we, yeah, that's I think how we remember we, visually sort yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I always, I'm always curious about that. Um, so you, you spent nine, your first nine years in LA and, and then you, in elementary school, you went to a, private, a Catholic school, you said, or? Yeah, we always yeah. went to Catholic schools. Yeah, but when I was living, when there was a period of time before, it's uh, my story is somewhat complicated, but that there was a period of time that we had moved to, when we left LA, we moved to South Pasadena. Mm-hmm. My dad worked for the, um, he worked uh, selling tickets in the railroad there hmm. for the Santa Fe Railroad, and then basically his whole life he's worked as a, in the freight yards of uh, Santa Fe, like mostly out by, um, Hobart in LA, that area out there. Okay. But um, this period of time, he lived. He was. He worked in this little ticket office that was in South Pasadena, and we lived right near there. And um, so that period of time. So that was when I. It was like so, kind of first, second grade, like that. Kindergarten, first, second grade was there. Then when his mother died, we we went for a period of time and lived in Huntington Beach, and that was like a totally different world because yeah. I mean it was just. I mean, also because it was just right on the, like, right on the beach. And yeah. there's, you know, very little rasa, of course. And, but also, I mean, it's just, it had many, many stories attached to that because what it was is that my grandmother had run this, um, like, a, like, like, almost like one of, like, an SRO, single residency units kind of thing, like those okay. hotels that people kind of came and it was this was after world war ii right Mm -hmm. even though it's the 60s there were still people that 
men that had been in the war and had been, you know, they come back wounded, different kinds of mm -hmm. things like that. But so my mother, when she died, my mother went in to manage that hotel. Okay. And um, so we saw this kind of side of life. I was like eight, and I saw like people that were, like there was a suicide, like somebody jumped off. Kind of like transients coming through. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, yeah. some really sweet, sweet people, but a lot of single men, like I remember this one Puerto Rican, I never knew a Puerto Rican in my life. And I knew he was kind of like us, but I didn't know, <laughs> why does he talk funny? You know, like that kind of thing, yeah, you know, yeah. Spanish. And yeah. he loved, my mom, my mother was a very beautiful woman. And so, and she was kind of, it was the first time, too, I kind of realized, because there were all these single men, and she was managing, and my dad stayed to keep his job. You know? Ah, okay. So I'd see them kind of, like, hitting on her, but I didn't know, understand what that was, you yeah, know. But he yeah. adored my mom, so he would always, like, fight her fights, you know, and stuff. And <laughs> But um, but people who were, like, transient, people who, um, you know, it was a very, and we were far away from the whole Moraga clan, you know, so it was a very different life. and. How many years um, did you live there? We didn't live like to me it seemed like forever, but right. it was under two years, okay. you know. Yeah. But, but what it did do for me is um, besides kind of, I think whatever the writer is in you, you start to look, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you start, you just start to. There's an interest, you know. It's like I was, it was it was also kind of the first um, uh, queer people I met too. Hmm. Like there was like there was one queer man I remember, but. What was really, this probably set me back, because I'm lesbian, it set me back probably many years to come out, because <laughs> the two, the first time I ever met or encountered what I could identify as funny women, you know, like, <laughs> this is the 60s, right, early 60s, so it's like, where is this very, very butch, there are two white women, one who looked like a Marilyn Monroe type, huh. and then another who was just, you know, super, super butch, right, and they were there in the in the patio of this of this hotel in the back and they were sharing a, a a thing of peanut butter like a jar of peanut butter right and sticking their one would stick the knife in and then lick it you know all like sexy right <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one would lick it and you know and I'm and I'm like I'm starting to go out the door to play and then I see him and I'm going, oh, and the first thing that comes to my mind is like, oh, that's so unsanitary, right? It's like, oh, kid, right? oh that's gross. Cheat you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but then I looked and I watched him, but I'm fascinated, you see. I'm yeah. eight and I'm fascinated, right? Hmm. Because somehow I know that that has something to do with me. Not that I knew why or how, you know. Yeah. And I was, a, well, I was a little kid. Yeah. My brother and I were very tight, and I was a real tomboy, you know. So I saw that woman who kind of looked like a man and freaked the hell out of me, you know. Interesting. But I was interested, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens by the next morning, my mother says, oh, you know, you know, you know the, the people who lived in the, the those the, that's those funny people in the back, in the back um, there was a little apartment that they were sure. staying in that night. She says they left without paying me like that. And I thought, that's really horrible, you know. And then she says, and I let them, they asked me if, they even took the alarm clock. They asked me if they could borrow the alarm clock because they had to get up early. She says, they even took the, you know, cabronas, you know, they yeah. took the alarm clock. So in my mind, I'm thinking, funny people hurt my mom. They're uh, bad people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it kind of oh, sets you back many years, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. you know, the, there, there's an interest always in like, like that period of time really was interesting to me because I was interested in, in people that were different to than me, right? Did, and, yeah, uh, did, did you sense that you had like a sense of, um, this is probably the wrong word, but kind of a voyeuristic like 
because I, I, I used to think that way about like myself when I was a kid and I remember some people telling me to stop staring mm-hmm. but I would just kind of be like entranced with like some sort of like scene that felt like out of a movie or something yeah. and like honestly like I maybe this is only how I remember it but when I remember my parents fighting for example my parents lived a lifetime of fighting and eventually yeah. got divorced but mm-hmm. I remember I used to hide enough to watch where I feel like my my siblings would hide to hide yes. <laughs> and to not hear yes. it. Yeah. But I would kind of hide somewhere and watch and listen. And I remember like certain lines, like the the volleys, you know? And I I would be like, damn, you know? like, And I would sit there and listen and like, kind of take it in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think some people are drawn to that and some people want to run. And <laughs> well, I think there's something, my sister, it w- I think my sister was kind of more like that, yeah. you know, because she was always telling me, you know, come over here, come over here, listen, listen, you know, I mean, like yeah. she'd, she'd always tell me, like, remember this, this is important, remember this, you know, like, yeah. and it was like, I just would be recording, you know, what I mean, like, yeah. the whole time I'd be recording, I was very, um, like, the, at home, like, when sometimes people say, well, what have been your, your literary influences right sure. as a writer and I, and I was actually a very poor reader when I was in little and my sister was actually a great reader she used to read to me you know what I mean so I would I think I took so many things in sort of hourly you know through the yeah. ear right yeah but it was really my I always say this it was really my my tias and you know with enough cervecitas you know they told everything yeah, you know? yeah. and they were very yeah. um and my mom también mm-hmm. get she was like a to me the medicuentista you know yeah. like she could tell you a story that you're just and she could the way she tells stories was so detailed you know yeah. and like she would uh she had a lot of passion you know so she I used see. to talk about like she would describe some she used to i don't know how i turned out queer because she used to talk about men in the sexiest ways you know what i mean like <laughs> i think like anybody should have been she should give me training for heterosexuality in a beautiful way because she'd say now that's a man mija that's a man you know like that and she would describe him and the way the you know si tiene las you know los pantalones bien planchados con that crease, crease. Y cosa, you know and like and i and um but what she did is she also kind of showed me sort of what desire was and huh. what and what um and also meaning because she would she was somebody of you know she was not a perfect woman by any means but she had very strong valores hmm. and so she was always trying to always kind of telling us like if something wasn't just or something you know you know you like you don't treat people that way and you know it's like there was a kind of integrity in her that I learned a lot from. There's two things that stand out for me regarding that. And one is that um, a lot of women, I mean, my mom never talked like that mm-hmm. with regards to like kind of anything that was slightly sexual yeah. or anything like that. And yeah. and I find that to be more rare than, oh yes. you know? Yeah. So, and then um, the other thing, kind of the moral backbone that defines like the, what you say of right or wrong or whatever, like where do you... Where do you think she got the liberty from? Mm-hmm. And then where did the, the backbone come from? And how did those two things, like, you know, work together? Well, I don't know if they work together. I mean, I right. think that's partly the, the I mean, you're, yeah, you're smart. It's like, <laughs> you know, because I think I know that she got the liberty. That's those years in Tijuana. Ah, you know what I mean? Yeah. She saw the world. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my mother saw yeah. affairs. She saw, you know, yeah. and she had to keep her dignity, you know, sure. the whole time. It's like, because 
you know, I mean, those days too, like, regardless of what people were doing, I mean, you, you know, it was like your virginity was the, yeah. your only selling point, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying, in terms of marriage and, yeah. so, but, but um, she saw so much that unlike most of her sisters, she was probably the most worldly of all of them, you know, and because the others married early and then the, and even, and then the, her siblings that were younger than her, she was sort of like their mother in many ways. And so, so, you know, later in life, most of my primos and primas, if they wanted consejo, they would go to my mom, you know, that yeah. she was the one and she could, you know, she knew what to, what to speak of, you know, yeah. she'd been around, you yeah. know, and my father was very naive. He was much younger than her and, you know. Your and, father? Yeah. Interesting. So, so she was How much younger one, was he? He's like eight years younger than her. Oh, wow. My mom looks very, always looked very young, you know, so. Okay. Um, but the contradiction was is that she also had, and so her, her values about sort of like being, like being una persona decente, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That didn't mean like, it wasn't attached to sexuality. It was attacks, uh, attached to um, having like, no te dejas, she'd always yeah. say, you know, like just yeah. to not throw yourself away. Control. You know? Well, yeah. it's not it's so much com it, yeah. power. Yeah, yeah. But let yeah. me explain a little bit because yeah. okay. I hear I'm, you're on me. You're right. You're right. Because it because the thing for women in particular, yeah, is that then stay a virgin. Don't do you know it's like don't do drugs. Don't do this. Be this way. This, I mean everything, yeah. right? Yeah. And of course, we were coming of age. Like I mean, I graduated from high school in 1970, so the ages were not. I mean, the age was you know yeah. drugs, alcohol, free sex. You know, everything, free yeah. love. You know, all of that and. And um, but I think more critically for me, it was it was it was you know so it's a period of liberation you know so yeah. the the all the mo the movimientos happening, women's liberations happening, you know, gay liberations happening, all this stuff is happening like in this kind of ten year period of time, right? Yeah. And and we were raised essentially, even though my mother's brand of Catholicism has much more to do with faith than the church, we were raised to be good girls. You know, just good girls, how, whatever that is, you know. <laughs> so, of course, in those early years, it was, it was very hard because we also, I felt like there was always this kind of double message I was getting because my mom, I knew, was somebody that, um, that she didn't get to realize her desires. You know, she hmm. really didn't get to, and she was somebody... You know, like you know somebody and she didn't get there was kind of a, a you know like she loved to dance she loved i mean there, like you could see that there was a kind of like um i always kind of say inquietude you know mm -hmm. in her like that mm -hmm. she never was fulfilled really you know mm -hmm. as a in terms of the, her sense of her own um yeah desires in this world even though yeah. kind of you know she had they had a good mexican what do you American think her life. desires were what do you think she would have I think that I mean honestly I think she there were great loves in her life that she couldn't realize them and you know with all due respect to my father I love him very much but he was the compromise you know what I mean I mean yeah. he was he he could never meet her you know and as kids you see like you know, when you're talking about being plugged in that was so evident I mean you could eat it you know it was wow. so evident you know just in terms of and you know and I don't just mean I mean like in all all of what you know how she thought her passion for life her is just like you know, he, you know, he is an intelligent man and all that. And, you know, he was a good provider, et cetera, but it, it was not a good match, you know. So whatever you're saying, even about your parents, it's like 
there were those periods of incredible fighting and you know but but he doesn't ever fight back so the fighting was one way which probably made her more mad you yeah. know what i'm saying yeah but yeah. you know so those are things that you know una aprende you know the, yeah. but i think as being a writer what you're doing is you're always just kind of watching right and mm -hmm. hearing and hearing yeah. yeah yeah you mentioned that your sister used to read to you a lot and that you weren't a big reader um but is there is there anything um as a child or as a young adult whether it was a book or an object or some piece of art or something that impacted you that you look back to or something that back then like made you really like wake up in any way um well i didn't i didn't read a lot when I, like in my you know elementary school especially and then not even that much in high school. I was a good talker. So I'd get the cliff notes and I could talk. Like, I could, I could <laughs> you do a, bullshit your I way through. I could just bullshit. It really good. I've always been a good talker. But, but when I got in college, I really, really began to read. But mm. I think that, but because I had trouble reading. I mean, I, mm. you know, I think probably now it would have been called something like dyslexia or something, sure. you know. But it was really labor, laborious for me to read. But I right. always... I played music, I drew, you know, there, there was the artist wanted to be there. You yeah. Know? But um, when I got to college, I mean, I think that what happened is that when I really did begin reading, I found myself um, a, a, attracted to character, right? Like, mm -hmm. to, attracted to, to finding out how people think and, 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 you know, so that internal life, like it occurred to me actually, oh, you read, you find out about people's internal lives. And, sure. it, and, and it, for me, because I, it was mostly what was coming at me in the world, I didn't, um, my internal life had much more to do with actually my whole relationship to Catholicism, which was very difficult, you know, that, that's a whole other story. But that's what I understood, sort of this thing about a relationship to one's existence. I mean, I was a little kid and I thought about things like that. I thought about, is this a dream? You know, really little. I go, oh, is this a dream or is this real? Is this, am I just making this up? Am I, you yeah. know? And, and they, you know, I had some of those thoughts like about, I thought, well, maybe this life is like, I remember being like maybe 11 or something. I said, well, maybe I'm just laying on some surgery table and these white doctors are putting ideas in my brain you know, like that and I thought well you that was you were a child existentialist <laughs> you were think just... so and I thought, but I also thought they had this racial component to it right because all these white men are going to put these ideas in my brain that is called my life you know huh. so uh, you know yes and so so I think that what happened is when I be began to read it there was always like I liked and that you know I, I ended up you know writing for theater but um, um, but even early on, like the kind of stuff I liked was like, like theater of the absurd, like mm -hmm. existentialism stuff, mm -hmm. you know, like Sartre, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, it's like, I mean, why am I reading, <laughs> reading this stuff? But <laughs> because nothing in my background was about that, except, you know, except I think in a kind of curious way that like, like even my rebellion against Catholicism, to rebel against it meant that I had to believe I was worth something because everything in my upbringing as a as a female, basically, the church was going to kill me. I knew. Yeah. So, so it, like, so what one has to do when? Because I've known I was queer since I was real young. So that an, an internal life develops in opposition. You know, like yeah. you have to to survive. You have to yeah, feel yeah. like you have some 
substance, something worthy in you, otherwise you're not, you're gonna die, you know? So I knew that from really young, and it was, didn't come to me easy, it came very hard. And it wasn't really until, I have to say, until I did come out and I was able to read literature freely, you know, that, um, and you know, it was really black, uh, black writers, you know, I, yeah. I think particularly James Baldwin, I mean, he was my, he was my savior, you know, mm. because even though he's a man, it was like he's a queer man. And even before I knew he was queer, it's like the way he wrote about desire and religion. Mm. Those are the two things, his critique of his, his origins, his father's a preacher, and him trying to find his soul, his spirit, you know, but being very, but having a spiritual life, you know, in him, but not that, not that repressive, mm -hmm. patriarchal, horrible stuff. And then, um, and he wrote about desire. Hmm. Even if it was through the bodies of women characters, he wrote this, this thing about desire, like communion you hmm. want to have with somebody, you know. Hmm. So he was my boy, you know, I mean, it was like, <laughs> and then I came, you know, when I was coming of age, black, black women were writing and yeah. that, that it was black feminism that helped me come to women of color feminism and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But those early works, I mean, I think that, you know, when I, it, it's curious to me now when I look back, when you said existential, that's what I was attracted to. Like, <laughs> ¿Por qué estamos aquí? ¿Quién yeah. soy yo? You know I mean? Like really those just. Yeah profound kind of questions you yeah know? yeah those kind of out of body feelings <laughs> yeah. that you are for, forced to uh confront yeah yes. the light-headed moments as a child <laughs> yeah yeah it's so true yeah. yeah um when you um when you were in high school like i mean this wasn't exactly a time when it was uh super common for uh women and not especially women of color to pursue college um, what do you think got you on track to go to college? And can you talk about leaving home for, uh, where'd you go for your undergrad? I didn't leave home to oh, go you, to college. It was local? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, I think that, uh, you know, because my mother didn't have education, you know, mm -hmm. uh, had very little education. Um, it was kind of a mantra we had all the time as kids, which is, you know, don't be like me, make sure you go to school, finish school, finish school. And, and, um, so I don't think college necessarily is what she thought. She just thought finish school, you know what I mean? Like just, you know, get your high school degree, you know, your right. diploma, whatever like that. But, <clears throat> but she always, it was like I saw in her, and I, I think my sister and brother shared this, is that we saw in her such a, uh, such a sense of having been deprived because she didn't have an education and, sure. then, and that she spent most of her life faking it. Hmm. I mean, you know, we used to sign, you know, she would sign checks and we'd go to the grocery store, you know, and we'd fill out the check for her, right? So that she wouldn't have to be embarrassed about writing the check. I, I mean, end up years later, I mean, she, she never went to school or anything, but she got better just from being, you know. You're forced to, yeah. 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 But when we were little girls, you know, she went to, to go apply for a job. We filled out the forms for her, you know. And I think a lot of, you know, um, you know, a, a lot of, you know, children of immigrants, but in this case, it's not about, it's more class, although it's not yeah, an class. immigrant. Yeah. It's class yeah. that you, um, and lack of education, that when you're the child of, of, of that person, um, it gives you an enormous, it's like, and I've taught, you know, so many years, I've taught college for so many years, and so I always see those kids, the kids that had that experience, mm -hmm. they are the most, I'm gonna finish school no matter what, I'm gonna, you know what I mean, like, they yeah. are the most committed 
and there's also a kind of sense of loyalty to to your parents you know yeah. that you want to you want to do it for them kind of too yeah you know yeah. so I think that that's very strong and but one thing that was interesting is that when I the first year I was in college because I hadn't read much and I went to this college that had a Catholic name but nobody it wasn't Catholic but mm-hmm. everybody assumed it was Catholic because it used to be Catholic <laughs> okay it was called Immaculate Heart College okay and it's in the same campus where now um, AFI, the American Film mm-hmm. Institute, is in Hollywood, mm-hmm. right up on that hill. That's beautiful up there. Yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah. And so it was yeah. a tiny, tiny college, like 400, 500 people in mm-hmm. this college, right? But it had this really radical history because it was the, the Immaculate Heart nuns were the first nuns to take off their habits and rebel against, at that time, that horrible Archbishop McIntyre in LA. I mean, he was mm. the most misogynist, horrific. Mm human being next to Trump and that and <laughs> but but the, but the thing is is that I, I mentioned this college because it was a very they had wonderful teachers and really radical radical ideas I mean the teachers they got were like I mean it scared the hell out of me because hmm. I'm just commuting from my little house in San Gabriel you know our little two-bedroom house and commuting and these people you know were like you know, I mean, there was a, there was a fair amount of rasa there, but it, it it was like a lot of them were like children of filmmakers and all this kind of I stuff. See. So they were like, they had these big world, you know. Yeah. But that first year when I went, because a lot of people had so much more privilege than I did, right? Mm-hmm. You're suddenly out of your class, right? Yeah. And I went. Uh, I mean, they'd read everything. I said, like in English class, I said, these people, I'm not going to spend my whole life catching up, you know? <laughs> and. Uh, which is an interesting thing because I tell students that I, you know, particularly first generation, you know, students. I yeah. said, you know, you're always going to think you have to catch up, you know, and you don't, you know, it's like if you don't have those, have the library in your home. I mean, my kids have libra- have a library in their home because of us, you know. Yeah. It's like you know we're college educated people, right? So that sense about you know, so that first year I got so freaked out and I come home. I remember my mom's cooking and I say. I thought, I don't know, man. I said, this is, I'm so freaked out. I said, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, how am I going to catch up, you know? Yeah. And then my mom says to me, oh, it's okay, Mija. You know, you got your education, you know, you can go get a job at a bank or something. Get an office job, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, And for my mom, like, to wear tacones and have stockings and to be able to have a clean job like that, because yeah. she worked, you know, factory, is like, that's it. You did it, right? Yeah. And her telling me that, that was the best motivation in the world. <laughs> and I ran right back to school and, and started, you know, just reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and reading as much as I could. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, crazy. Um, and so you you did uh, your undergraduate work. Was it you get an English degree? Is that right? Or what did you? Yeah. 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 Um, how did you end up knowing that that was what you wanted to do? I mean, was that just kind of naturally where you gravitated or? No, I didn't know anything, you know. I mean, I was just kind of, my sister was an English major, so I just called, well, whatever. It was not, it was not like a, a calling. You didn't go have a sit down with a counselor no, and like no, figure out what your career calling. options No, no it was not a calling. Well, that's good. Good for us. No, I mean, good for us that just, you ended up there. Yeah. It was um, really because I didn't know. I just wanted, I just figured I would do a kind of liberal arts major, whatever. And, uh-huh. and um, but what happened is that I fell in love with writing, you know. And, and I did, there were some really, there were some interesting teachers I had along the way. One uh, person, um, Eloise Klein-Healy, who's like, at one time was the poet laureate of LA now, and hmm. she's a, she was, she was somebody who looked at me and, 
and you know, say, you know, it's, it's sometimes you realize because I do this with my students all the time. Like, just says you tienes algo, you, you know, got like, it. you got yeah. something, you got yeah. something, you know. Yeah. And and there was another, uh, there was some really really good, just some good teachers that. I think that some of the men that were teaching there it was interesting because they were they were like these, um, they were all World War II vets, you mm. know, like and they were in the you know so they had the um, GI Bill. GI Bill, yeah. So they were kind of working class guys that got education. They're white men, but you know, like Irish guys, but they're yeah. so there was something they were more grounded than yeah. the way the university is now, where you feel like it's theory post theory of the post of the post post. <laughs> and so I feel like I had a, a very kind of uh, I. I I had teachers, I had some teachers that were, that, that, that taught in a way that was related, related to life, yeah. you know, and gave you some skills that way intellectually, if not yeah. the rest of your life, and even though it didn't, nothing related to us as Chicanos, you know, yeah. but it did help my life of the mind, you know, to, yeah. to figure out, it wasn't until I left college that I was starting to figure out what it, how to write, um, without the sense of catching up, without to write, not for white literati, but to write for us as Chicanos. Yeah. Yeah. When you were writing as an undergraduate, um, was there um, any one like instance or piece or something, or were you doing any creative writing at the time? Or I was did a it, little bit. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like? What was your writing like back then? It's embarrassing, I guess. It's always embarrassing, <laughs> but that's the beauty of it. I mean, that's the beauty of it. It's yeah. true. Yeah, I, I mean, I look at some of those things that, I mean, I, I, I mean, frankly, now, I mean, because I've been writing for so many years, I look yeah. even at my first book, Loving in the War Years, and I look at this, you know, young woman in her 20s writing this, and I have um, a lot of compassion for her. <laughs> I mean, like she's like a—it's almost third person for me. I don't yeah. identify necessarily, but I know yeah. that I still read from that work, and I, you know, I do a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, engagements in different places with college students in particular, and I, I always lots of young rasa and and I read those pieces, and that they're there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what's beautiful about it is that. That's why I said, oh, look at this person, you know, <laughs> 27, that's pretty smart, that's good, you know, like, you know but, it, but, you know, so there's a, it is a, you know, when I was in college, I did get support, like, I remember just this one teacher saying, some, there was some visiting uh, writer, and my professor was in the, in his office, I had to come pick up something or something, and he goes, he says to this guy, oh, this is Cherie, Cherie's a poet. And I nearly died. Yeah. You know what I mean, I nearly died. Yeah. And I said, oh, it's like, oh, one could be a poet. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So I, yeah. I loved, even in high school, I loved writing. And I used to do little scripts. And mm -hmm. I used to, you know, like there'd be like, you know, it was, a, it was basically at a girl's wing to our Catholic school. And we would do all these shows. And I'd script them. And I, so I was always writing. Yeah. And, um, but it really wasn't until after college that I began to see that, um, that I couldn't, that I had to shift the, you know, just because, and also the, the politics of the time made that evident, that, yeah. that I was not going to, that if I wanted, if I believed in this kind of white literary model, you know, of, of how one is supposed to be a good writer, I was dead in the water, hmm. you know, because you never catch up that way. I mean, you have to find your own voice, no matter what it is. And, and I was told, like, after I graduated from college, I was in a writing workshop, and and these women, these all these women, and that you know, and they told me um, I didn't have a big enough vocabulary, right? Hmm. And I'm thinking, what? 
what? I just graduated from college. Are you kidding? I have even a vocabulary. And what it was is that I wasn't cleaning my own vocabulary. Right. You know? And it was right. like you have an enormous, each of us, is what the way I teach my students. I said, the only thing you got going is you. Yeah. What makes you original is you, not imitating yeah. somebody else. I said, so you got to be you, like to the max, like the deeper and deeper and deeper you, whatever that voice is, let those voices come out, find what really works for you, and you move from there, you know? Yeah. But that's a long journey because our education is just about colonizing us to think that we got to sound like the white man, you know what I mean? And not just the white man, but like the very educated white man that language you know the editing is like that and and all along i've had to you know struggle with those questions about also what is good advice you know because sometimes yeah. you get good advice you know yeah. and the people yeah. are on your side they want you to be better at what you do yeah and what is just simply prejudice you know yeah yeah i mean i think even sometimes um bad advice is is not ill-intended it's just what people think right Oh, it's definitely that. that there's yeah, a lot yeah. of that. Yeah. And I mean, I yeah. remember um, even like, you know, college essays. I was an awful writer. Um, and, uh, and I remember my college, ex- like my essay to apply to Stanford, I think, had a bunch of curse words in it. Not a lot, <laughs> but it had a few. And I remember I asked uh, my English teacher to like if he would give me some feedback and he was just like you can't send this yeah. and he was just like no 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 and I read it and I was like this is good you yeah. know I was like fuck this guy and yeah. I said to it you know but you know I I, I don't you know got in. I, yeah I guess you it worked or whatever but uh, but yeah and I don't yeah again like I don't think he meant bad you know I don't he certainly wasn't I, I hope he wasn't trying to keep me down. He was a white man, but yeah. I think he was trying to, you know, he was trying to do his best. He was trying to help me out, but I yeah. thought it was bad advice even then. And um, yeah. you do have to, you know, then I did, you know, I do recall other advice, which is like, okay, that's actually not bad, you know? Yeah. Um, but there's something to that. I mean, it's like, regardless of his intention, if your visceral response is to say, I, I, I'm going to do it this way, ultimately that's what you have to trust. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and then... It ha- if it's that strong, then that's what you do. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's a quote. I'm going to find it here real quick because this is something I think a lot of artists struggle with. Um, that finding your voice, and especially when, um, when you're an adult and you have to think about paying rent. Oh, yes. <laughs> that. That. Yes. <laughs> Um, and living, um, there's, I'm going to read a quote from, I think this is from, uh, from a Chicana Codex of Chain Consciousness. And this really struck me. Um, okay. It says, um, the censorship I have experienced has come in the not so idle threats of gun toting, mad dog, envidiosa colored dykes, and in just plain old commercial disregard where the money you need to do the work you do ain't there for the kind of work you do. And this is, I think you were referring to theater work. Uh, oh, okay. You know, yeah, uh-huh. you finished saying, yeah. this has been especially been the case with my work in theater. Right, yes. Um, and as a filmmaker, like that's something like, I feel like I've encountered where you have a script, you feel really good about it. People of color and other people that you trust are telling you this is really good. But when you get to the point of trying to actually realize this it, it's impossible yeah and 
I, you know, this isn't necessarily a question, but I mean, how do you get through that? Like, because I'm guessing you have a number of unproduced, you know, uh, plays and stuff that's just remained on the page. Um, well, I mean, it's, you know, the, I, I think what I was also saying in that period when I mentioned the thing about so, so as not to be misunderstood, okay. that, that um, when I was saying it can come out of like the repression can also come out of your own kind, right? Okay. It's not always, you know, um, that, that the, many, the things that can become obstacles to us can also sometimes be those deeply, deeply, you know, like, oh, that person is just like me, you know, like they're, you know, Chicana, they're queer, they're this, working class, whatever. And then that, that who ends up supporting the work can sometimes be very complex and who ends up being obstacle to it can be very complex. You know, it, do, it doesn't necessarily run down in identity politics. Sure. That's all I was saying in that part. Got it. But the second part, which has to do with, you know, really the material conditions yeah. of trying to make art, for me, because publishing has been easier for me, and the level of that you don't, um, easier in the sense that I have always managed to be able, I think because of this bridge called My Back, it was a book that, and I was completely unpublished, and so was Gloria before that book came out, Gloria mm -hmm. and Saldua. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it kind of put us, you know, somewhat on this map, you know, like mm -hmm. of, of, of name recognition, at least to that degree. And um, so publishing became somewhat easier. But what's interesting is that, and you, I think this is the same thing with film, is that those worlds don't cross. So I would, like, people would treat me yeah. like I'd never written a line when I, because they only read plays, you know what I mean? They only know theater. Right. It's the same thing with film. It's like their worlds do not, so, you know, you come in there and you're like, 35 and they act like you know nothing you know and you're saying well actually I have three books or I have four you know whatever the sure. deal is so but but for me it's also the 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 obstacle has been of what I write about you know yeah. and who you make center stage and so for all of us particularly um, for those those stories that we want that are actually much more complex than what makes it in the mainstream, there's so little about us anyway, that when, they're it, when we do, when the films are made about us and they make the mainstream, they tend to be so generic. You know what I mean? There's just no nuance. There's very little yeah. complexity. There's just, you know. So, so when we desire to really write for us and not in translation, and I don't mean just, I mean cultural translation, sure. right? Yeah. That, that it's really hard to get it funded. So virtually every play I have ever done, I've pretty much produced, right? Mm. In other words, that, that even though a theater is doing the production, I'm writing all the grants, I'm doing all that, you know, it's like, a, you know, yeah. fundraising, that it's yeah. like, um, I'm talking about the initial production, right? Because maybe the play later might go other places, right? That I'm, I don't, I'm not involved in. But to have it realized, you know, and 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 plays cost a lot less than film, <laughs> but still, sure. how do you come up with a hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, you know. And yeah. so it's like, and and by then, then I'm directing, I'm producing, I'm, you know, I, I'm writing, you know. And it's yeah. like, I, last one we did was New Fire in 2012, and it was by the time I got done with that one, and I had it was a huge play. And I said, I'm not going to do this again. That's it. I'm, I'm too damn old. I can't, you know, <laughs> like that. But you do think about, I mean, but in fact, I am doing another play, and it's coming out this summer at Brava. But, yeah. 
but what I thought about is I think, you know, my, if at 64 years old and many, many books later, all right, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to aggrandize myself to say I'm so all that. Sure. It's more just kind of looking at it as a, a demographic, right, where you kind of go, I said, now, my male counterparts, you know, just my male counterparts, I'm just talking Chicanos, you know, they don't have my issues. You know, my straight Chicano, you know, they do not have my issues, you know. And we're not talking about quality of work, right? Yeah. So it even gets that, you know, it even comes down to that, right? Sure. All of our, our sites of identity. Yeah. And so, you know, other people have the privilege of just being able to make art. But for most part, you know, any of us in our sites of our identities, we're particularly talking about, and, it, and I think, I think Rasa still remains completely, completely under, underdeveloped, you know, in terms of our, we are an undeveloped, underdeveloped population in terms of our art expression, you know, mm -hmm. because we are not given those opportunities, right? I mean, the work is all there. It's all there. And, but like even trying to find, say in the Bay Area, really trying to find actors that can take your work where you know your work's supposed to sound like, but yeah. they're not allowed the training. They don't have access to the training because the trainings are run by, you know, these <laughs> Anglo theaters and yeah. they're, who's told better lose your accent. And then you try to have them have an accent. And they can't do an accent <laughs> because they got the accent all, you know, because you want someone to sound, you know, like Legit. Chicano, yeah. right? Yeah. So what you're saying is that it's, so to me, the, um, you know, so many of our, there's, so, I mean, I believe in cuento. I just believe in the power of our stories. And I believe that also what raises, raises conciencia are those stories that people have to see themselves reflected. And then, and then the playwright or the, the writer or the script writer or the filmmaker has to push those, they get, you get them to identify and then you say, and then and then push them to to politically you push them politically hmm. so they say oh that person's just like me that dude's just like me like what you're trying to do in this radio right so you use you got you, i know you got five languages in you and i'm not just talking english spanish right <laughs> you have lots of ways of talking to different people sure because what you're trying to do is bring everybody in yeah right and then you kind of push them right it's hmm. like you're 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 moving consciousness that's what we try to do politically we're trying to move consciousness, right? But without our stories being out there, I mean, this is this is audio because the visual, you know, I mean, it's like it's visual too. But I'm saying, you know, what I'm saying it's <laughs> yeah, not yeah. a film, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. So it's those it's are not real. Dramatized. It's yeah. real. Uh, I still think after all these years, you know, like I remember, I went through the decade of the Hispanic sick, but you know, I went through that decade in the 90s where they said, oh, this is the beginning, man. You're gonna, all this Latino work's going to be everywhere. <laughs> you blinked and it was over. That decade was a couple of years, I think. And yeah. Um, we don't have a lot of time left, but I, 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 one last thing I think I'd like to talk about is, um, um, you know, you said you, you just mentioned this now, this, the 90s. And, and um, I think by this point, you've been through multiple cycles of, Quite frankly, what I look at is almost like crisis, mm -hmm. right? And you know, you were um, you came up to the Bay Area. What year did you come to San Francisco? Like seventy-seven. Seventy-seven. Mm -hmm. And you became part of uh, this is a whole other podcast, but you know, feminists and a queer and uh, people of color and all the intersectionalities that, that includes. You became part of that movement and. Um, 
and then like you said in the 90s and then i think you know i was reading some of your other writings around uh 9-11 you know mm-hmm. 2001 and and now we're hitting another one you know and i feel like um i don't know if again this isn't a question that can be answered but i feel like we we're often finding for some we're, we're looking for some sort of conclusion to chicano identity or some sort of where's the end game here but mm-hmm. i feel like it's a constant this is like a, a constant churn especially because immigrants are always arriving mm-hmm. and because people are right. always going through this um how the other thing i would say with regards to that is another quote and i, I don't want to misquote you but one thing that really struck me was a really simple quote i think and um all right, my damn pages here. But um, you said this is literally a single sentence. Um, I hope I'm not taking it out of context, but you basically talked about, I think you were talking about finding yourself an identity, and you said, there is no home. I learned except with what we build with a handful of others through a tenacious resistance to compromise. And this was about a kind of a disillusionment with the movement, with the yeah. feminist movement. And... For us here at Des Madre, we've, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a bit older than Sammy. Like Sammy and I are cousins actually, but we're 12 years apart. Mm-hmm. And I spent like pretty much from like my mid to late 20s to a few years ago trying to do film and trying to do that. And then I kind of was like, I'm really fucking annoyed with this. Yeah, I want my own home base. Let's start this Des Madre thing. Yeah, yeah good <laughs> and, for you. And yeah. I feel like we've kind of. This is our own form of little resistance, yes. if you will, yeah. and I, and we're trying to just be on our own thing and do our own work. But yeah. can you talk about that and you know where you maybe where you're at now with regards to movements? Yeah. Well, um, that's all I think it is. I mean, like when you're talking about this madre and your vision of it, and that it, it, you know, there is a kind of disillusionment sometimes that happens on this long road of conciencia, you know, like all I ever think about is like always what I tell my students, I always say, you know, consciousness spoils your time, you know, <laughs> because what, what it is is that because you can't just do business as usual, yeah. you can't, you just can't, you know, it's yeah. like if you decide that profit is not your sole motivation in this life, you know, but actually that, that, that actually you care deeply about, real deeply about equity. And equity in the sense of human equity, that you just feel like that you can't forget your origins. And you, it's, it's um, I think when you were talking about, and that's always what's been very particular to, you know, Mexicans in the United States, is that there's always a new generation of Mexicans coming in. You know, that's why they yeah. hate us so much, fear us <laughs> so much. But, but to me, the issue is sort of this link between that and the, Mexican-Americans who have been here for generations, Mm. right? How do you keep, it's almost like, so you're looking at the, you know, like the undocumented movement and stuff, and like these folks, these young folks have got a courage and and clarity and, Mm -hmm. you know, righteousness and, you know, like their politic is just right on. But the question is, how do we keep the Mexican-Americans on our side? You know, and we even looking at Trump, and there was, you know, there's reason to believe Mexican American. There's a lot of Mexican Americans that voted for Trump. Not oh, a lot, but you know, there were actually a significant. There amount. was significant number. Yeah, there right? were significant numbers. Yeah. So, yeah. so all of that to kind of cut this short is just that my thing is, is that what I believe is that differently than just comes to the last little comment, that diff like Black Americans do not forget they're Black. 
I mean, sure, there's black Republicans, but black Americans remember they're black, regardless of shade, regardless of any of that, right? Because the history of racism in this country told them that. Yeah. You know, because of slavery, right? Mexican Americans, Latinos, Hispanics, you know, et cetera, right, are not convinced always that they're people of color. You know, that somehow they feel like enough years here they can be American, right? And that to me is hardest because also when you're trying, when you're talking about how to get the money to do your work, right? Without us supporting each other, without those who do get, you know, education yeah. and access, supporting young people coming in and new ideas and all of that, you know, we are a, we are a fractured group of people. We don't support our own kind. I mean, you look at the visual art, all of this. Yeah. We do not support our own kind. Many of us become Republicans, you know, and not just, you know, it's like not as a little minority. It is a phenomenon, right, yeah. of identifying with this nation state so completely that we don't want to remember we're like those Mexicans coming in, right? <laughs> so to me, that's a major, the impact of that is also economic in terms yeah. of supporting our arts, yeah. right, and, and supporting a political movement. And so the issue of conciencia to me is what always what I think it's about, that how do we continue to remember in order to build a future? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's super challenging. I mean, I'm, I think a lot of people have been dealing with that over the last week, literally. And, yeah. And, um, you know, certainly on social media, you're seeing it and, I mean, I'm I'm seeing it within, like, you know, family. Oh, to, our, our families are like a mess yeah. this way. Yes. Yeah. And you can't even have a dinner conversation because you don't know how it's going to go. I don't want know? Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm, my <laughs> wife was like, let's go to Japan. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I, I wish that. we had the money. Let's get the fuck out of here. You know, that would totally. be great. Yeah. Um, it's it's extremely troubling. And, and uh, like, the more you dig in right now, it's I think it's causing everybody to you know, really confront some stuff, um, not only amongst the community, but amongst ourselves. Uh, because generally speaking, even if you are, you know, you consider yourself like a, a you know, conscious um, liberal, for lack of a better way of putting it, like, you don't think about this stuff a lot. Yeah. You really don't think about it, you know. You, you try to live it in some way, but you don't confront it head on in your day to day, I think the way we're being forced to this week. but. Um, yeah, and I think the big the the fear is that it goes just back underground, you know. Yeah. I mean, there is a sense of of in a kind of curious way a sense of relief that I have in this in the in the knowledge after all these years that really the this foundational misogyny and racism and and you know basically white supremacy, you know, like that that this foundational part of the United States has surfaced, you yeah. know, because it has always been there. I mean, yeah. you know, I think that some of the people that have been the most surprised about this thing have actually been white women. Yeah. Because they're saying, wait a minute, we thought we were part, we thought we were members, yeah. you know, and suddenly they're real. I mean, I think, well, good, good. Now you're understanding that, that fem your feminism then requires your alliance with people of color. I mean, that it will not happen without people of color. And this is something that's, you know, women color feminism talking about since, you know, the, the early 70s. Yeah. And um, so that's how I see it, that it's kind of like, you know, that emperor's clothes kind of thing. It's like, you know, the man is naked and showing his 
ugly ass, you know, I mean, yeah. what's really, you know, under, and the, the roots of this are really foundational to this country. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think as much as I was like mentally putting on a front leading up to the election and being like, um, you know, as positive as possible, I'm like, look, I'm just, let's do, let's do Hillary. Let's just block this guy. Let's yeah, block yeah. this guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I had also been mentally preparing myself for what I thought was totally possible. And, and, you know, I have a, a white woman, actually, a few days after the election I was speaking to was like shocked. And she's like, I, I did not expect this. Yeah. I can't believe this. Yeah. And I was like, and, and she was so, you know, she probably doesn't get around too many people of color. But I was like, it's because you're a white woman. Like you haven't you did not grow up as a person of color right. in this country. Right. And um, you've never been treated a certain way when you walk into Macy's and people follow you because you, they think you're going to steal fucking socks. <laughs> Like, you know, you don't get asked if you're on probation when you get pulled over for a broken taillight. Right. You know, yeah. you don't get this yeah. bullshit. So yeah. this is totally like as as like wrenching as, as it's been. Like, this is not a surprise. But um, awesome. I, I hate to end on a down note there. But what do you what would you say to, um, you know, as somebody who's kind of been through this up and down? And again, I think when I was reading some of the some of your thoughts uh, immediately after 9-11, like. You know, you've you've been through this. You've been through the up and mm. down. Like, is there anything in a practical sense that gets you through it? Like, what get your family? Your what? well, I mean, I, I mean, yes. I mean, of course. That you know, I have, you know, I, I have a partner of of twenty years, Chicana painter Cecilia de Rodriguez, and we've raised her. We've raised her kids. We raised my son. We've raised her grandkids. I mean, you know, we have a lot of familia. And at a certain level, and it has not been easy. And I think that, and it's been also, um, to me, uh, one of the things I'm most grateful for, I feel like I earned, I earned us, you know, the family, this queer Chicana. My, my, my son always says, he goes, God, he goes, he goes, I was raised by these indigenous identified Chicana lesbians. He says, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, and he says <laughs> it with great love, you know. But, but you know, because he, now he's, you know, he's in the world and, Nobody has his history, you know. I mean, this yeah. particular history, right? Yeah. So, but I am grateful for that. That that somehow I can wake up every morning too and feel like I'm not crazy, you know, because I I kind of walk in a road with somebody whom I respect as well, and yeah. and what we're trying to do with our family without compromising who we are, you know, as queer people, and. Um, and I think, you know, because also I have access to so many young people because of teaching, I, there's always an inherent sort of hope in that, right? Yeah. But, but for me, really, it's like with 9-11, when 9-11 happened, I think one of the biggest things that is my frustration with the country, and if, if anything I could change, it would be um, the acknowledgement that everything they say that's wrong, you know, like all the stuff that comes out of Trump's mouth, et cetera, to, to acknowledge that the United States is responsible for it to acknowledge that they're responsible for Syria, to acknowledge they were responsible for 9-11, to acknowledge, I mean, it's like, that is all foreign policy that has been absolutely generated to make profit, you know, for the corporations that run this, you know, uh, so-called democracy. And that sounds like a lot of language to say something that's just absolutely true. And like, you don't have to have education to know that. You don't have to have an education you know, like a college education to know that they are lying to us, 
you know, and that all that hate mongering is like you're talking about. I was just talking to a British um, man, African uh, African Britain man, and and I was saying, oh man, you know, you guys all started, you know, coming in and doing all that, you know, imperialism, <laughs> colonizing everybody, you know, and then I said, and look at, you know, they did Brexit, right? So they want to keep out the immigrants. You know, and it's the same idea. It's the same thing that yeah. every place where they put their big pata, you know, yeah. suddenly those immigrant communities are now on their land, right? Yeah. And they wanted to keep, you know, it's like, so the United yeah. States thinks it's any different, you know? So somehow if we, if we could, if, if as this nation could separate in our mind this idea that we're somehow exceptional, you know, that I think that, that we could actually be democratic because then it would allow the, the truth about these decisions we make, you know, in order to gain profit for, we know this, you know, for this very, very small segment, you know, of society. And we're not a monarchy. Really having a king, Trump, is not going to make us richer. It's not going to make us feel better, you know. So that to me is just like a single, a single thing. And that's what the 9-11 taught me, you know. When I saw all the commercials that came out after 9-11, which says, buy America, be free. You want freedom, you buy. And I'm saying freedom and free enterprise are not the same thing. And yet, they were just trying to sell it to us, you know, that we are no longer citizens or consumers. That's all they care about. And I, that hit me like anything at that time. Not that I didn't know it before, but it yeah. hit me. So this, to me, is no different. This is, Trump exists because of the evasion in Iraq. You know, and for he said I was in favor. He's a liar, but it's like, but but the thing is, is that all of these these things, it's all it is all dominoes. You know, it is that that the mess that he can now say about Mexicans and the wall and, you know, he what is like we were the ones as Rasa, we were the ones that were protesting on the left against NAFTA, not him. You know, yeah. So you can yeah. anticipate, yeah. You know what's going to happen, and somehow they do this popular argument. You know, that, that, that convinces us somehow that, you know, white is right and that somehow the United States is an exceptional, you know, exceptional place on that level. I would like us to really be, you know, equitable and free yeah. and all the things they say we are, you know, but not at the expense of another nation, another country, another people. Yeah. Well, was that the happy ending? Yeah, that's it. We, we've, we've got our happy ending, folks. Uh, everybody, everybody, go to the kitchen and take a fucking shot right now because we need it. No there was no ticalita here. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Um, awesome. Um, what would you? Where would you? Uh, where can people go to learn more about your work? Or if there's one thing right now that you'd want them to check out, what what could, what would you recommend? Let's say someone is new to Sherry Sherry Moraga's work. What, what where, where should they start? Well, I mean, I have a website, okay. and uh, and I'm just going to post. I did do a. Uh, I was asked to write a letter to the president-elect, but I did not call him president, and so it's a, it's an audio, and yeah. uh, so there'll be a. I can there can be a link on yeah. that website to it. Okay. You know, so um, I haven't posted it yet though. But anyway, it's just it's just shereemaraga.com. Okay. So um, yeah. Good starting point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it has everything there. Yeah. Awesome. Anyway. Well, thank you so much that for stopping by. Fun talking to you. Yeah, thank no, you this is it. amazing. Like, I love, uh, I love the details, especially of de people's past, and I think it, you know, that's the the practical and the details 
really uh, I think people pull a lot more from than the theoretical and you know um, I agree it's, it's uh, certainly special so thank you so much for stopping by welcome yeah. thanks guys uh, we'll see you next week alright okay <laughs> thank you very much for listening guys podcast is now over remember support Desmadre on Patreon patreon.com forward slash Desmadre or check out our store desmadre.com forward slash store pick up a t-shirt or some stickers or something uh, most importantly, please remember to share this with your friends and family and leave us a nice five-star review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks, guys. See you next week.